Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning. My name is Pastor Benito, and welcome to those watching online and those here on site this morning. I'm excited to start this brand new series this morning. But before I start, I have a question for you. Who are your favorite people to spend time with? If you get to choose just two people to spend an entire day with, who would it be? And I'm not talking about celebrities or people you want to meet like Jimmy Fallon. I would like to exchange jokes with him or Steph Curry, shoot jump shots with Steph Curry or Charlie D'Amelio, TikTok, don't have one, but my kids would love to hang out with him or Drake. I'm talking about people you know. Without asking, you chose somebody that already knows something about them. You chose people who make you feel better about yourself. None of you chose your worst critic, the biggest gossip, the person who always gripes and complains all the time about everything. We know some of those people, don't we? It's human nature to avoid those people. Nobody wants to be around a negative Aunt Nancy. Nobody wants to be around a Debbie Downer. They're always complaining. They're always bringing people down. We all know. Raise your hand if you know a Debbie Downer or a negative Nancy right now. Don't point them out if you're sitting next to them right now that... But, but when they walk into the room, the lights get dim, right? You go on a walk with them, the dogs growl, cats hiss, babies cry. When you have to have dinner with them, the food doesn't even taste good. Like your favorite chocolate cake tastes like boiled cabbage. Time just stands still when you're around a person like this. You'd rather go to the dentist on your birthday and have a root canal than spend time with a person like this. Some people are just downers, while others lift you up. They encourage you. They are like the wind beneath your wings. They make you, when you think about them, they make you want to sing that old Bette Midler song. Man, you're the wind beneath my wings. Did you ever know that you're my hero? How many of you guys remember that one? Wind beneath my wings, right? For those of you that are over 35, you know this song? If you're under 35, you've never heard this song before, and that's all right. But this morning, we're starting a brand new series called Anonymous, where we will look at the lives and characteristics of some of the unsung heroes of the Bible who don't get a lot of recognition. But their lives made an incredible impact in all of eternity. And today, we're talking about a man who was known for being an encourager. It's easy to miss his story. He has a little cameo appearance in the book of Acts. His life seems anonymous. His name is often lost in the pages of Scripture. But I would make the argument this morning, I'm going to make the argument that this is the most influential leader in the New Testament outside of Jesus Christ himself. Without this man, there's no Apostle Paul. And 13 of the letters of the New Testament would have never been written. The Pauline epistles would have never been written. Without this man... There's no gospel of Mark. It would have not have been written. Bible scholars tell us that the gospel of Mark was the oldest gospel, and the other writers use Mark's gospel as a resource. So you can make the argument, essentially, without this man, we have no synoptic gospels. Without this man, you might wouldn't be in church today. How many are Gentiles? Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Like, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So that's mostly all of us. We should ask, how many of you guys are Jewish this morning? 
So, you know, you would not be welcomed in church. This man championed the way for the Gentile believers to be part of the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. When the Jewish Christians were resistant to the Gentile Christians getting saved, this man went there and said, no, God is at work among the Gentiles, and we need to bring them into what God is doing. Anybody want to guess who this anonymous this anonymous, influential spiritual leader is. Can anybody guess who he is? His name is, right there, drum roll please, let's put up Barnabas. Barnabas has one of the most impressive resumes in all of Scripture. Yet in all my years, I've heard tens of thousands of sermons. I don't ever recall hearing a single message entirely about his life. He's just man mentioned randomly here and there throughout messages. Yet his life had a profound impact on others because he was an encourager. He was called the son of encouragement. And if we're going to make a Barnabas type of impact with our lives, leaving behind us in the rearview mirror an impact far greater than what somebody sees outside the side window or in front of the windshield, we need to be known as people of encouragement. Encouragement is missing in our day. It's missing in our families. It's missing in our schools. It's even missing in our churches. Today, people are so hungry and thirsty for encouragement. You know what they do? They look for approval. They create social media pages. They post pictures and videos, and they just wait for somebody to give them encouragement. They, hey, look, encourage me about the food that I eat on Instagram. Encourage me about the places that I go. Encourage me that I'm dressed right today. Everybody, everywhere. And if they don't get as many likes as they want, then they feel bad about themselves. We live in a culture that is thirsty for encouragement. Anybody who knows me well knows that I have ADD. If you've ever been in a conversation with me, we're talking, all of a sudden, squirrel. You laugh because you've been with me. But we're living in a culture where most people have EDD. They're suffering from encouragement deficit disorder. People aren't getting encouragement anywhere. And Barnabas' life is, is an example to us how we can live to encourage others. This morning, we're going to read several episodes from the life of Paul recorded to us by Luke the historian in the book of Acts. The life of Barnabas recorded to us by Luke the historian in the book of Acts. And as we read, of it, read these passages, many of you who are long-standing Christians might have missed these important details about his life before. But the first thing we're going to learn that Luke the historian tells us is in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. If you have your Bible, turn with me there. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 34, but from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the cells, and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, underline this next name. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. What's absolutely interesting to me about this is Barnabas is the first person mentioned in the book of Acts outside the apostles as making a major impact in the church. So that's pretty huge. 
If the Bible is recording your name and you're the first name recorded outside of the disciples, that means you're pretty influential. And notice, his name was what? Joseph. But the apostles gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. In the first century, the term son of was used to describe someone. The disciples, uh, James and John, were called the sons of thunder because of their aggression. Remember, Jesus tells them to go and spread the gospel, and some towns aren't listening, and they want to call thunder down from heaven. Jesus says, no, don't do that. In Acts chapter 13, the sorcerer, Elimus, is called the son of the devil because of his trickery, his greed, and deceit. But Joseph the Levite is called Barnabas, son of encouragement, because that's how people felt when they were around him. They just felt encouraged. And this became his name. This became his moniker. This became how he was described from then on. It's kind of like Laker legend Magic Johnson. Nobody really knows his first name is Irvin, but everybody calls him Magic Johnson because of the magic he creates on the basketball court. That's his nickname from now on. Or Nobody knows the name Calvin Brutus, but everybody knows Snoop Dogg, right? Man, everybody's my dog. What's up, man? Man, Farizzle, right? Everybody knows all that because Snoop Dogg changed the way a culture talked. So let me ask you this. If people could give you a nickname that would describe your life, what would it be? Would it be fatty for all the food you eat? Might be my name. Would it be Debbie Downer? Would it be Negative Nancy? Or even worse, would it be Karen? We all know the name Karen, right? How many of you guys know a Karen? How many of you guys are married to a Karen? No, don't point them out right now, please. How many of you guys have had a Karen moment? In Acts 4, 36 and 37, we clearly see why Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. Look at verse 37. We often miss this verse. It gets lost in the story. I honestly didn't see this, didn't see it until I did my study on Barnabas for this message. It said this, Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas sold a piece of land in Cyprus. Cyprus was a beautiful, large island in the Mediterranean Sea. It was a gorgeous area. Everybody in that day wanted to live in this area. It was like Lakeway in Austin. Imagine having a house on a piece of property, lakefront real estate in this white hot market, selling it and giving it all the money away to the church. How valuable is real estate in Austin? It changes by the day, right? And Barnabas sells his land, and he gives all his proceeds to the church, not because he get, he's looking for recognition, not because he wants a pat on the back. It's because he sees a need, the people are in need, the church needs to move forward, and he is an encourager. He tries to meet it. And what's fascinating to me is Luke, the historian, tells us, there is something that we, it's a, something that we miss here, that he was a Levite. Why is that important? In the Old Testament, Levites would live off the tithe. They would not inherit land from their ancestors. So for Barnabas to be a Levite and have some, have some land, this was an anomaly. We don't know how Barnabas got the land. But here what we knew. We realized that he knew that it was never his land in the first place. It was always belonged to God. And as the church was growing, he sold it and he gave it for the advancement and the kingdom. And the first thing we learned about Barnabas, about how to be an encourager, is this. Encouragers are financially generous. Barnabas was generous with what God had given him. One of the most important things I've learned in my life, the major life lesson is this. If people will not be generous with their stuff, God will not use them in a powerful way. Every person that I know that God has used greatly is generous. 
Doesn't mean that they're rich. It means that they're generous. Two different things. Our God is generous. He's a giver. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. You cannot know God deeply without generosity flowing through you. And let me tell you, if you can't share your material treasure, you can't share the eternal spiritual treasures of heaven. That's why tithing is so important. It's not that God needs our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If we were translating it today, he'd own the Rolls Royces on a thousand parking lots. He owns it all. But what God needs is your heart. And that's what that money represents. And when you put God first by tithing, it breaks the attachment of money and selfishness of your life, in your life. See, generosity will always require a measure of sacrifice. This morning, I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself a question. What, when is the last time that you sacrificed so the gospel could be advanced? I'm so thankful this church exists because so many of you sacrifice so much. When we wanted to buy that piece of property on Sam Bass Road, when we needed $120,000 in a month, many of you guys sacrificed, man, vacations. Some of you guys sacrificed savings you gave so that others can give. Do you realize that you're sitting on chairs that one time that there was times we didn't even own a single chair, but people sacrificially gave to sit on the chair that you're sitting. You realize that your generosity is a blessing to others, that we are standing on the shoulders of people's generosity, and now we get a chance to pay it forward to the next generation. Generosity allows you to be a blessing. I have a good friend of mine who budgets an amount every month just to bless people. He's always carrying 20s, 50s, and 100s. And everywhere he goes, he asks the Holy Spirit, who should I bless? And he goes around into stores. He goes around into the church. He goes around everywhere. And he gives people one of those old school hallelujah handshake. How many of you guys know what a hallelujah handshake? It's a handshake with a crispy, crispy in the middle. And sometimes it might have a Benjamin. Sometimes it might have a Jefferson. But how many of you guys have ever got a hallelujah handshake? And how many of you guys say, man, it's time that we start giving those everywhere he does? He does this. I'll never forget the first time I experienced encouragement through somebody else's generosity. I was a 15-year-old young believer learning to trust God, experiencing the call of God in my life. I felt like God wanted me to go on a missions trip to Mexico. It was $100 to go on the trip. I only had $5 to my name. It was Sunday morning, and I needed to come up with $100 by Monday morning. I resigned in my heart that I couldn't go, that maybe I just really wanted to go, but God maybe didn't want me to go. But I felt that morning that God said, Benito, I want you to give that last $5 in the offering. I'm like, oh, Lord, it's five bucks. That's all I have. Five bucks was a lot back then. How am I going to get a value meal with all that? But I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give the $5. I remember giving my $5 away. It was a trust moment for me. After that service, one of the sweetest old ladies in our church, Sister Celine, came up to me. She shook my hand, and it was a hallelujah handshake. It had a crispy Benjamin right there. And I'll never forget it. It's like, what is that? I'm like, oh, I realize now you got to, like, wait till afterwards to look at it. But that time I looked at it, like, what? Why are you doing this? And she told me this. I just felt God wanted me to give this to you. And she started speaking life over me. She started saying God has a plan for me that he wants me to preach, that I just got to trust him. And let me tell you about her generosity. Her generosity made it possible for me to go on my first mission trip to share my faith publicly for the first time and because of her generosity i haven't stopped sharing it since it taught me that i could trust god with my money she was my barnabas she was always encouraging me her generosity and encouragement was a catalyst that began to unlock god's plan and purpose in my life and that's what generosity does we begin to call out what god has deposited into other people with our generosity and encouragement. 
The second thing we learn about encouragers from Barnabas is this. Encouragers are lovers of people. They treat every person like they matter to God. I love Barnabas. He's one of my favorite Bible characters because he loved and believed in people. When Saul the persecutor gets saved, it's Barnabas who makes a way for him to be part of the church. And I don't think we understand how difficult this was. Saul had just killed Stephen. The church was on its heels. And just imagine, we don't really feel this in America, but imagine like if we were like Pastor Hashmat in his situation and you're in Pakistan and you know that Al-Qaeda is after you and if you share the gospel, you can literally be killed. And just imagine that they're persecuting you and they come to the church and they kill one of the elders of the church and you find out that one of the person that led the charge now gets saved. What are you going to do? Are you going to believe him? No, you're going to think that they're kind of putting up a front because they want to come after you. Everybody's afraid. But Barnabas prepares the way from Saul the persecutor to become Paul the preacher. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. You think? They thought he was going to kill him. But Barnabas, I'll underline that next word, took him in. And he brought him to the apostles. The Greek word for took is the word eploadalamus. It means to take hold of. Barnabas literally took hold of him and said, you're coming with me. He says, I'll go with you as you share your testimony. I'll stand by your side. I'll confirm that God is at work in your life. See, Barnabas put his reputation on the line. He risked his life for Saul. You know why he could? The reason he wasn't afraid of death, because he died to the gospel already. If Saul was pretending, Barnabas was already dead. He wanted the advancement of the gospel. And while others saw murder, he saw a missionary. We must pray this prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. It'll change your life. But Lord, help me not to see people as they are, but who you created them to be. And I love the picture that Luke tells us about gospel. About, about, about tells, that Luke tells about Barnabas. He says this, that he took hold of Saul. Grabbed a hold of him. Here's my question for you this morning. Who recently have you taken a hold of and say, you're coming with me as I follow Jesus? Oh, come on, I'm getting a hold of you. You're coming with me. When somebody new comes to church, especially if they come and they're new believers, they come from a rough background, we should be the first one taking a hold of them and leading them to Jesus, discipling them. Let me ask you a question. What if we would all take responsibility and took hold of people that are coming to God? Let me tell you what the church is missing like never before. We need a bunch of people like Barnabas. They're going to take hold of people. It'll cost you. It's, it's going to be a challenge. It'll cost you out of your comfort zone but if we are going to make a difference we can't just live in our own little convenient christianity we must grab a hold of others and say you know what i see potential in you let me invite you to a bible study let me invite you out to my house let's get together let's pray together let's read together god is calling the church to take hold of others that's what the bible teaches us i wouldn't be here if it wasn't a youth leader named Bobby Gonzalez who took hold of me as a young man, he was older than me. We didn't have much in common, but he saw something in me, and he invited me out to pizza one day. And then after pizza, we went to his house, and we sat in his living room. He took me on vacation with him. He made an investment in my life. And because of that investment, it began to unlock the plan of God in my life. Let me ask you this. Who have you taken hold of in the last six months? 
Who was the last person you took hold of? I want to just stop and pray right here. Lord, may we be known as a church that takes hold of others. Open our eyes. Lord, there's future missionaries, there's future pastors, there's future people, Lord God, that you have to call on them, Lord. And we get so caught up in our own convenience, God, call us out of our comfort to take hold of people. Amen. I mean, you guys are just convicted by that, but Lord, I want to take hold of somebody. I want to make an investment in others. Third thing is this. Encouragers lift up others. In Acts 13, when Luke is telling us about the first mission trip, he writes that the Holy Spirit said, sit apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. And then that first mission trip, as you read, Paul outshines him. God starts using him even more so than Barnabas. And when Luke mentions them on a later mission trip, he switches, he switches from Barnabas and Paul to all of a sudden Paul's first and Barnabas. And at the end of Acts, he writes Paul and his companions. What's amazing for Paul about Barnabas is he made a way for Paul in his calling. Barnabas didn't live to be a hero, but he lived to be a hero maker. He realized that his ceiling was the floor for the next generation. That it wasn't about him. Barnabas fought for people. We see this in Acts 15. See, Paul and Barnabas are about to go on another mission trip. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him, a young disciple. But in the previous trip, John Mark goes running home to mama. Things get difficult. He starts crying and he abandons them. And Paul loses respect for John Mark. But on this trip, Paul doesn't want to take him. He says, don't take that little mama's boy with us. This is going to be difficult. But Barnabas insists on taking him. So they have this argument. And look at this in Acts chapter 15, verse 39. And they had such a sharp disagreement. They got, they got into it that they parted company. Why? Because one person wanted to take John Mark and the other didn't. And Barnabas, and notice that word, took Mark. Took him in again. You see that word? Took a hold of him. And he sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas. You see there's two different words? Uh, Luke is trying to tell us something important. Both of them, one chose him. One says, you're going with me. But another person grabbed a hold of him and took him and said, you're coming with me. I'm going to take you. And he left and he takes. See the word takes? Paul chose. Barnabas takes. Takes a hold of him. John Mark and Paul goes with Silas. Barnabas stood up for a little pansy mama's boy who ran in a difficult moment. And that pansy mama's boy ended up writing the gospel of Mark. And Paul would later admit that he was wrong about him. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, when he's about to die, he says, man, please send me John Mark. I want to see him because he says this in 2 Timothy 4, 11, that he is very useful for the ministry. Very useful. Yeah, you think if somebody writes the Bible, they're pretty useful, Right? What a legacy Barnabas, Barnabas left behind. Without him, we'd be missing three-fourths of the New Testament. But here's why we don't hear about him. Because it was never about him. It was always about others. He was always encouraging others. He was always calling out their potential. See, the most powerful words you can say to someone is, I believe in you. I believe in your potential. I love you. I know that God is going to use you. I believe that you will make a difference. Every time Barnabas was in the room, people felt encouraged. They're like, did you ever know that you're my hero? They're like, yes. Would that be said of your life? Every time they walk into the room, people are encouraged. Every time they come into the office, everybody's happy. 
Every time you go to the gym, I can bench press 100 more. Every time I go to the local H-E-B, I can make the best meal ever. They make me feel better. So I want to close this message by getting really practical with you and giving you two tools we all have about to our disposal how we can encourage others and lift them up. The first thing that you can use that we all have is words. What you say matters. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let me say this. Parents, what you say to your kids matter. Spouses, what you say to your husband or your wife matters. And what you don't say matters as well. Parents who don't tell, parents, if you don't tell your kids you love them, let me tell you, dads, if you have a young daughter and she's about 12 years old, 11 years old, if you don't tell her she's beautiful, if you don't tell her you love her, some knucklehead's going to come and tell her. So you better tell her. Husbands, if you don't tell your wife how beautiful, how amazing she is, some person in the office is going to tell her. Some of you say, that's not my personality. I don't vibe like that. That's not how God made. Let me say, don't. Get, get over it. Get over a personal, man, deficiency in your personality and tell somebody, I love you. I care for you. It matters. So, men, again, let me tell you, if you don't say for it, here's a word from God. Get over yourself and live for something bigger. Live for others. They need to hear it. Encouraging words are powerful and life-giving. And careless words can cause great irreparable damage. There's a very powerful verse that is clear about this in the Bible. When I read this, I, don't want, I just want you to just look forward. Don't elbow your spouse. Don't elbow the person next to you. Don't nod. Don't say amen. Just keep breathing normal. <laughs> just let God do his work through his word. Let God speak as I read this verse. It's in Proverbs 21, 19. It said, it is better to live in the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome complaining, negative, mean wife or husband. Can I breathe now? See, let me tell you, you can't nag someone into changing. You can't nag your kids into changing. You can't nag your spouse into changing. You encourage them to change. Like when somebody tells me, Benito, it looks like you've been lifting weights. I want to go to the gym. When somebody tells me, it's Benito, are you gaining weight? It makes me want to eat cheeseburgers and tacos. Right? It's the truth. So let me get practical with you ladies. I'm going to help you a lot. It's free. If you want your yard looking good this summer, listen to me. Every now and then, just sit in the back porch and sip some iced tea and just watch your man mow the lawn. Just look at him the way you used to look at him. Just sit there and sip tea and go, mm, that's my man mowing the lawn. He's looking good. And this is what will happen. Your husband, who's now middle-aged and middle around the waist, he's out there with his shoulder shrug. He's thinking, i got to go mow the lawn. Honey, do this next. Honey, do this next. He's got all these things going on in his head. And then he looks up, and he sees you watching him, and he's going to ask you what's wrong. And he say, babe, nothing's wrong, but everything's right when I'm looking at you. <laughs> and, and you're going to see. He's going to go from his, his, his shoulders and his chest down. He's going to be out. He's going to start flexing. He's going to start putting up that. He's going to say, yeah, you're watching me. It's right. He's going to start turning later. He's going to like, well, watch this. He's going to be like, watch this. I still got him. My baby's watching me. 
man, there's going to be crisp. It's going to look good. And your lawn's going to get mowed. It's going to be awesome. That's the power of encouragement. Let me tell you, encouragement has the power to release God's gift in somebody's life. It does. Your encouragement can unlock the potential in someone. How many times has someone complimented you for something that you didn't see in yourself? And that compliment set the tone for your life, for a career choice, your attitude. And you know what? You're really good with kids. So you started working with kids. Or you know, you're, you're really smart. You're good with computers. Or you're good at this. You're good with your hands. And whatever they told you, I didn't see that. I didn't know that. And all of a sudden, that compliment, that encouragement set the tone for your life. If you tell someone that they're smart enough, enough times, they'll start to believe it, and it'll raise their performance. So let me tell you, parents, don't tell your kids how bad they are all the time. Encourage them. Find something good and speak life into them. Man, don't be a negative Nancy, a Debbie Downer. Your plan and God's purpose for your life is to call out of them everything God has for them. If you tell them they're special enough times, they'll become special. They'll raise to the occasion that you call on their lives. You might say, Benito, what if I encourage somebody and they get big-headed? I'm there to keep people humble. I've heard people actually say that. Leave that between you and God, between them and God. You do the encouraging. Let God do the humbling if it needs to be done. Let me just say that. You do the encouraging. Let God do the humbling if and when it is necessary. And the second way to encourage people is this, is with our actions. Dare to express love to someone. Like Barnabas, take a chance on someone. Take them in. Disciple them. Pour into them. Love them. Find somebody in the church that you knew was no one knew in faith that you don't even know. Man, invite them out to dinner. Invite them out to lunch. Invite them out to breakfast. Man, we got to be we gotta be proactive in this. We just can't sit here. And I know it's been COVID and I know all these things. But we got to once again step out and get in somebody else's life. We got to say, I'm going to be a Barnabas. We can't even wait for somebody to tell us to do it. We got to say, Spirit of God, let's call out a people who God has called them to be. Write them a letter. Love on them. See, I, I was a youth pastor for several years, and even when I came to plant the church, and I worked five jobs, I substitute taught for a long time. And one of the things that kids are missing, they're just missing life. And you just go down to a school. You know how to be a popular substitute teacher or teacher? Just speak life into somebody because everybody's speaking death over them. And you're smart. Love your shoe. I've been, I don't lie, but I find something that I like about them, and I just compliment them. Everywhere I go, I just try to compliment somebody. Call stuff out. And people want to hang out with people like that. What if you would just compliment others? When we came to plant Freedom Church, this was our plan to plant the church. Let's just find people, compliment them. Let's invite them into our lives. Let's take them in. Let's do things for them. And you've heard the story. One of the first people we did this to was a guy named Rick who was a heroin addict for 10 years. But today he's free for five years. He was, man, doing amazing things. But just this week, I got a text from Rick. That's why I'm telling the story. He says, Benito, I had a great time this past Saturday, Sunday at the picnic. He says, I'm so grateful to be back in church. We need church to encourage one another. He says, I missed my friends. And then he ended off the text with this. I got to point other Rickies to Jesus. I'm excited to serve more and to share my testimony. Because you know what? Encourage people, encourage people. What if next Sunday, 50 people came to Freedom Church with the intent purpose 
of not just what they can get out of church, but coming to encourage people with their finances and their generosity. What if they came to find someone in need, they prayed all week long, and they came anywhere from 50 to 100 to even $500, said, God, who do you want me to bless? And they'd go around blessing somebody in the hallway. How awesome would that be? And what if there was another 50 people, and they came to church with the exclusive purpose of finding someone who they can pray for and fast for for that week. And they go around and say, I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to speak life over them. And can you imagine how awesome and how much electricity would come in? Let me just say, the greatest ministry is not in here, but it's out there in our homes, in our lives, and what takes place out there. Can you imagine how powerful it would be? Can you imagine what if another 50 people would come in? What if they came to church with the goal to serve someone in a practical way? In other words, I'm looking for someone, maybe whose lawn I can mow, whose car I can repair, I have these skills, or maybe I can invite them out to dinner. Maybe I can watch their kids. I know they got a lot of kids. I can help them with that. Maybe in the name of Christ, I could encourage them. What would the church look like if we all did that? Everybody came with the exclusive purpose of encouraging. People would say, where is that church? Is it in Round Rock? I've never found a church like that. We can't build a building big enough or plant enough churches for all the people who would want to come to a church like that. And here's my challenge to you. Let's be that church. Let's be that church. But it starts with each person. So here's my challenge to you for the next 30 days. Every day, for the next 30 days, write it down. Encourage people. One one encouragement a day. Say, I'm going to encourage at least one person with my words and one person with my actions every day. How many of you guys would do that for the next month? And we'll see what God will do. See, the Greek word for encouragement is the word parakaleo. It means to come alongside. you got to ask the Holy Spirit as we close, who do you want me to come alongside this week? The word parakaleo is the word for rallying men for battle. It's like a football coach giving that pep talk. That's what God's called us to do. He's called us to come alongside people. I want us everybody to stand to your feet. And this is what I, I want the Holy Spirit to do His work right now. I want you to just raise your hands towards heaven. And say, God, speak to me. Just as a battle of surrender, say, speak to me. Lord, who do we want me to encourage? First, it might start with your wife, might with your kids, somebody within this church. So here's my challenge to you. Man, why don't you invite somebody in this church out to man, build a relationship? Get connected. We gotta start building community again. We gotta start doing life together again. Some of you guys, I don't know a lot of people. It's time to get to know people again. It's time that we be the church again. And we need each other. We need encouragement over one another. So right now, let's say, God, who do you want me to come alongside? That's the prayer I want you to pray. God, let me not stop thinking about myself, but let me think about others. It might be a neighbor. It might be somebody in this service. It might be somebody, you know, Lord, who can I come alongside of and call out who everything God wants them to be? Because here's what I know about life, your life, that if you are a Christian and you are walking with God, somebody at one time or another came alongside of you. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. That's how the gospel works. What somebody did for you, you do for others. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.